The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Luke 10, 1-12, and verses 17-20. through After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into his streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, uh, welcome this morning, especially if you're a family visiting for um, new members or baptisms. My name is Stacy Croft. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff at Christ Presbyterian Church. I'm the lead pastor here at this particular location, and uh, I'd love to meet you if you're in town and uh, live here, and, or if you're visiting in any other way, capacity. Welcome this morning. Glad you're here. Um, years ago, and now it seems like many years ago, it wasn't too many, but um, I remember being in my work across the street at Vanderbilt, and this happened from time to time. I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but we had a group come on campus and begin to um, yell, if you'd like to say, about the, you know, coming kingdom of God. And it didn't happen too much at at Vanderbilt. It's a pretty closed, tight-knit campus. But this particular couple, interestingly enough, decided to hop in a car and with their little daughter in the back, filming this is called Caring for Souls. That's actually what the title was of YouTube. And they would drive around yelling, what does it mean for you to get right with God and with others? And uh, the video, if you watch it, they're filming uh, students on lawns, you know, before, you know, pre-gaming, before 
uh, you know, the, the Vandy football game or a fraternity party or different people. And of course, you would expect it to get a myriad of reactions, uh, people wanting to literally beat them up or to let's talk about this to I can't believe you won't stop, you know. Uh, and, and, and I have to say, maybe you've encountered this in some respect. I, I'm not sure uh, if you haven't. It is interesting, whether it's downtown Nashville or somewhere else, uh, someone launching or throwing out this kind, of, this kind of language to you. You know, you read a passage like we just read about they go into towns and they speak uh, the kingdom of God, and maybe that's what comes up for you. Maybe that's the image, unfortunately, that you get, uh, that, that people are screaming out, and it just is so off-putting. But I'll tell you what was interesting was the, the uh, conversations I had afterward uh, that spurred, so is this what Christianity is? That was always the question. You know, if somebody came on campus and did that, or if I meet somebody in, in, in a city like Nashville or somewhere that has a big public square and a sign's being held up and someone says, is this, is this what Christianity is? Is this like what it means to share your faith? <laughs> well, we're going to look at that this morning. And I think it's, you know, to, to even call back last week, Scott used a, um, a great, Scott Sauls who preached here last week, used a great statistic on this. And I think it's connected to this actual thing. It talked about why half of millennials say it's wrong to evangelize. It was taken out of Christianity Today. It said this statistic, new research from the Barna Group, which does a lot of statistic work about churches and uh, Christian groups, says that 20-somethings and 30-somethings now on deck to carry the faith, nearly 47% of practicing Christian millennials or churchgoers say believer, uh, believe that evangelism is wrong. And I wonder sometimes, when we talk about that, why that is, um, is it connected to this? Is it because it's so offensive or even promoted offensively? Here's the thing, though, we can't get out from underneath. Whether that statistic is true or maybe you're in this room and you kind of feel that way and we all probably at some point or another feel like, who am I to share this or you know, breaking the awkwardness. We'll talk about how we worship not being awkward soon enough. But, but I think it's fascinating to me that here's the number one thing if you read the Bible. It says this good news, the good news of Jesus is not ours to keep. We can't keep it. We can't grip it. If this is a reality that we're really taking on, it's actually something we're supposed to give. It's something we're supposed to extend. And Every one of us in this room, uh, whether we would even, and maybe there's some of you this morning that would say, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, or maybe you would say, I am a Christian, but I don't know about this evangelism thing. We're all evangelizing something. Whatever we hold holy, whatever we hold dear, whatever it is that we grip onto that is our witness, so to speak, probably even hate using that word, but we are witnesses of something. What is that? What do we extend? Christianity is saying it is so odd to, if you really take what we're doing and pull it out for a second and just examine it, it, it really is amazing. It's weird because our entire religion of Christianity is founded on the fact that someone came to us and didn't keep it. That Jesus came to us. He was the sent one. And and how incredible that he implores others to go out for him. 
If there's anything that you should know, the difference between Christianity and any other religion, is that there are very similar things morally, ethically, you can line them up, but where it's very, 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 very different is in the process. The process that Jesus is the sent one for us. That's what we're holding out. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's kind of go into our uncomfortable uh, nature, even with this passage that throws out a lot of things, I'm sure, that we can and can't answer for this morning. But let's look at just three questions about this passage. Who is sent? Like, who are the people who are sent out in this? How are they sent and why? Just who, how, and why? Simple questions. I think they're really unpack what this passage is talking about. If you look at this at the very beginning, it's, it's a passage that says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and some say it's 70 or 72, and sent them on ahead of him two by two in every town, every place where he was about to go. Now, when he does this, just so if, if you're unfamiliar with Luke, was a historian and a doctor. So what he, when he wrote, he was writing very detailed accounts of things. And right before this passage, in chapter 9, this 12 were sent out. The, the 12 disciples, the apostles, like the ones that you read about. And you expect them to be sent, right? That actually, that passage in chapter 9 is one that's paralleled in pretty much all the Gospels. The disciples are sent out to talk about Jesus. Like, you can I expect the disciples, the 12. Right after this passage is the famous, famous, the, probably the most famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And in between is this weird passage about Jesus sending 70, 72 people out. Why? Luke is the only one that writes about it. And he's writing about it because he wants us to know something specific, that it's not just about the 12 going. There were more that took the gospel. Who took it? It's not just the 12. It's not just the original people they took it. It's about the 70 to 72. And here's what's fascinating. The number 12 is a, is a symbolic number. It symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? But if that's the case, 70, and Luke is trying to tell us something, it's 70 or 72 is the same thing. If you do word study of 70 or 72 in the Bible, what it represents is the nations of the earth. In other words, what's being said is, that the nations of the entire earth are being brought the same gospel. It's not just about the 12 disciples. It's about these 70 to 72 people. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they're from. They're actually sent into every town and every place to take this truth. And it's weird. I mean, think about how weird this is. We're talking about they're taking this truth of a guy, and we, look, and here's how fascinating it is. If that didn't happen, we wouldn't be sitting here today. The whole premise of Christianity, like think about this, we have absolutely little to no connection to Jesus historically at all. Like there's no, like maybe you're a carpenter in this room, like I don't know like what your job is, but Jesus, thought, we believe we're here in a place of worship and we come and do these practices based on the fact that a Israelite from some no-name town lived and walked in a country many, if not most of us, probably have never been, and yet what's incredible about it? We can find the coordinates of where Jesus was. And because of that, he sends people with those coordinates of this person who comes to earth and sends it out to the 70 and to the rest of the nations and the world, and somehow millennia later, we get to hear about it. Is that not 
amazing? And here's, here's Jesus' fastball. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm going to describe what, who, who's going out. I'm going to give you a description of who you are. My people will carry your laborers and your lambs. That's his fastball. He says, here's, here's your, how you're going to go out and take this. Laborers and lambs. Jesus gives them these two pictures, and they're not illustrations that are like, let's pump you up and send you out. They're actually illustrations that make you go, oh, is a lamb strong? What's a laborer do? Just work hard and hope to see the, what comes back? Look, I, I remember in Texas, Dallas, Texas, uh, when I was in college doing a lawn mowing business. And, you know, you read this, these agricultural terms here. The only thing I have agriculturally is to think about landscaping. But I think about, like, when I was in this lawn mowing business, and I would get there for the morning, and we would have the list of lawns that we'd have to do. Now, think about this. Let's do the math. Dallas, Texas, August, heat, lawn mowing. Is there anything about that that sounds pleasant to you? Um, so I'm, I get the list of lawns, and y'all, this is not like a normal business. We had, on, on an easy day, 13 lawns. Most of the days, we had 25 to 30 lawns in a day. And we would just go, boom, 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 boom. We had a huge team. We'd go, and we just, and it was constantly overwhelming. And it was like, okay, we got to go. We got our team. We said, let's do this. We got to hunker down. Like, I'm having a feeling that when Jesus is saying this to them, there's an overwhelming nature of them going, you're going to be sent out. And they're like, okay, we're going to do this. But it's, he says this very line, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are, free, are few. He's saying, there's so much in front of you, there's no way you're going to finish it. And the problem, I think, when we first approach what it means for us to carry out the good news of Jesus is it's just overwhelming. It's like, I'm supposed to do all this? I mean, does that sound encouraged? Like, here's your pep talk. The harvest is plentiful, labors are few. You ready? <laughs> it's like, let's go do this. That's what he's encouraging them to do. But here's what's incredible about the backside of that. He's saying that the cool thing is that if this is the case, it's not that you're having to plant the seeds and water them. It's already there. What it meant to be a laborer meant to reap what God has already sown. You see, who he's sending as a laborer, them and us, means it's not all up to you. It's actually incredibly free. It's actually not, and this is what's so hard, and I think, when I think back on mowing those lawns, I think it's always up to me. I think if I give the right words, if I say, and we've all been in that situation where we've totally tried to talk about Jesus or at least live it out, and it just feels like so canned and so overwhelming. And yet what Jesus is saying is it's not skill-based. We don't even, it's incredible, we don't even get to see them training. It's not like some good movie where you see them like training before the big day. Like you, we don't see them training. We don't see Jesus handing them a list of, here's the, the best way to use a line if somebody says this. Enter into their house and live in their world. Who does he send? He sends laborers and he sends lambs. If there's one illustration you don't want to hear, if you're a Middle Easterner about going out in strength and power. You're taking the kingdom of God, your lambs among wolves. Can you imagine that? That'd be almost like if you've ever played a sport, if your coach was like, 
you are the biggest losers ever. And you will probably not win this game. And you will get knocked down a million times. But you have the power to do this. I mean, does that sound like it makes sense to you? But he says, you're lambs. Why does he use these illustrations? Why does the whole Bible use the illustration of a lamb? It's to say that it's not on your shoulders. It's not your strength. It's not your skill. It's not about you. It's about what has been given to you, who comes to you. I love this book. It's a very old book. You need to read it if you haven't read it. It's called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World by uh, Becca Pippert. Old book, great, great words. She says this about evangelism and taking the gospel. She says, our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It's that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget that we're called to be witnesses to what we have seen and know, not to what we don't know. And the key on our part is authenticity and obedience, not a doctorate in theology. We haven't grasped that it's really okay for us to be who we are when we are with those who are seeking the gospel, even if we don't have all the answers to their questions or have a limited knowledge of Scripture. Is it okay for you to just be you? To just actually share the faith because it's something you live and breathe in? Not that you shift into this gear of, okay, now I have to have the skill, now I have to have the words, now I, and people always say this to me, because I'm in this business, if you want to say that, people are like, well, you always say things, because you're a pastor, you got to, I mean, do you know how many times I have the most uncomfortable conversations when I'm on an airplane and somebody's sitting next to me, and they're probably not a Christian, and they actually say to me, well, I don't know. And then, and then they go, wait, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. <laughs> shut down. They shut down completely, like book open. Oh, great. Oh, where are you a pastor? Like that's always the next question, so it's not as rude. You know, like I'm in Nashville. Oh, cool, Music City. Okay, what's on my iPod, you know? But, but here's the thing. It's not skill. It's, it's not about you. There's freedom from, from who you think you're supposed to be. It's the fact that Someone has come to you. That's the oddity. That's the beauty. That's the amazement. That somehow, through centuries of history and time, through a specific coordinate where Jesus actually came, walked, lived, died, and rose again, that message traveled all the way through space, time, over oceans, and got to you. That's amazing. And if that's the case, if not space or time or oceans or whatever can bring the message to you, don't you know that there's enough power for you to take it out? It's not about you. We're lambs and laborers. We reap what God is at work doing. Just like we got to baptize. It was so sweet to baptize Caroline and just to see that reality of what we hope. And that's the hope for all of us, is that we're continually seizing our baptism, right? But how were they sent? They're sent, and if you read this, it says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, you'll, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the house, eating, drinking. What they provide, and laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. I think how he sends them out is beautiful. If you read the majority of this passage, it's about them going into homes. It's about hospitality. 
we might think that Jesus gives them a strategy of, okay, here's the line by line. What does he say? Go into the home, and what is it like to enter somebody's home? You enter into their world. And what does he say? He, does, he says, don't go from house to house trying to find a better meal, a better place to sleep. Don't ask whatever they put in front of you food-wise. You're to be the most gracious guest ever. Why is that? Because you're supposed to, what is, what is giving the gospel? What is giving the good news of Jesus? It's not about a track. It's not a strategy. It's living in someone else's world and learning their story. Is it not that simple? Hospitality is that. It's to show up and live in their world and learn their, their home, learn their life. Learn the, the, every nook and cranny of it. It's the freedom of not critique. Look, notice Jesus doesn't say go in their house and critique it. They, they're not to critique the home and the person in it. They're to go in. Whomever opens their doors and welcomes them in, they're to just be sitting with them. Being in a home is intimate. I, I, I don't know if you remember these kind of things, but I remember all the, the things about a home. What, what's a home like? I remember growing up, going to some of my best friend's homes. And what I remember is the, the smells. I, I remember distinctly each of my friend's home had its own smell to it, an aroma. It had its own textures and, and patterns. I remember uh, a staircase in one of my dearest friend's houses. And every time I walked in the door, I just remember even how the railing felt to my hand. I remember the, 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 the patterns and the ways that the families moved in a home. Where did they mainly sit? Where did they mainly watch TV? Where did they mainly eat a meal? Where are the places that were undisturbed? What, what is, what is take, how are they supposed to take this gospel? By just living in the world of that person. That's it. It's living, it's loving, it's learning, it's asking questions, it's sitting over a meal. It's not this grandiose moment where you have, it's, it's living in life with people and doing it. Does this call you to go door to door? No, but what it is saying is what you have is meant to be given away and the way that we give it away isn't by screaming out a window from a car. It's by walking onto the lawn. You know, one of the things that I always said, and, and, and I think he may have left, but Brett and I always, Brett used to work with me on campus, and one of the things that we always said about what does it mean to get in the world and life of sharing the gospel with people, and listen, to, and, you know, he even talks about this, when you're there, heal those that are bound, you know, that are broken. What was, what's it like, if you're a student here, to be at a frat party and instead of leaving the party because there's alcohol, holding the hair back, of someone who's throwing up in the trash can? What's it like for you instead in your office of being repelled of what is being discussed around the water cooler, instead going to lunch with those that you may think, oh, why do we forget who we are in our sin, in our own brokenness, our own mess that we are before God when we approach everybody else who may or may not know Jesus? Hospitality is about us living in that world. It's simple. It's going towards them. I love, there's this article that uh, a former uh, a pastor wrote. It's called Meeting People in the Business at Hand. That's what he said. The ordinary mundane duties 
and experiences that make up the larger portion of our lives. The ministry of the present doesn't sell well. It's a little hard to measure. We're not sure even what it looks like. It requires dogged obedience, robust prayer, but this is what it means to know God, what we think about evangelism and discipleship. We should think about meeting people where they live in the business at hand. There we will find the great struggles and messes, and there we will see the transforming graces of Christ. That's where it is. It's in those moments. And this is what Jesus is calling them to do. Not do something in the streets necessarily, but to go in their homes and speak to them about the gospel and to heal them. And what does he say to take with them? It's this tangible nature. He says, what do they bring? Peace. Now, it sounds at first like he's just saying, hey, peace on you. But peace to them was actually a big deal. It was, it was actually not an intangible word. It was a tangible, tangible thing that was given to them. And to a Jewish mind, the word peace actually was meaning completion, wholeness. It meant bringing together things the way they're supposed to be. See, what we're supposed to do as Christians is to display the way things are supposed to be. Going against all the darkness, all the evil, all the things there. And our church even celebrates how we're supposed to do this. Our very mission of our church is this. It's very simple. To follow Christ in his mission of loving people, places, and things to life. And I know that sounds funny for a lot of us. But when we talk about people, yeah. But when we say places and things, wait, how does that work? So loving people, places, and things to life. And how are we to be hospitable and learning? And be, that, look, hospitality is more of a passive thing. You go in the home and you learn, right? But peace is more of an active thing, he's saying. It's something you give. It's something you share. It's something you put in. He's saying that peace is something that brings restoration. Being a church that goes in, brings healing, breaks uh, into the, the, the world where there are bruises and suffering and issues. And there's a, there's a video, I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It's always fascinating to me to watch. It's a guy named Penn Gillette. And he's a guy, you've heard Penn and Teller, the magicians. But he talks about this. He's actually not a Christian at all. He is an atheist. And he encountered someone who was a Christian <clears throat> at one of his shows who came and actually um, handed him a Bible after one of his shows. And he said, hey, here's what I think about this. And, and it shows in the video that Penn receives this Bible from this man, and he's, he's just, he's actually actively shaken by it. Not in a bad way. He says, this man was just so good. He was so kind. He was so caring for me where I was. I just received it. And his reaction was to this, and he, he doesn't have a conversion. He doesn't uh, say, I became a Christian in that moment. Even in the moment, he says, look, I'm a, I'm a practicing atheist. This is what I think about it. This is what he says. I have always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Listen to this. This is what he thinks about evangelism. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's really not really worth telling them this because it would make you socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Isn't that the thing for us? I mean, wouldn't we say probably the number one thing that throws us off sharing the gospel, delivering what is not ours to keep, is that social awkwardness. 
It's feeling like, well, if I say this, I don't know. It's like, what do we do in that moment? But listen how he finishes. He says, I, m- I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and, I didn't be- and um, you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And listen to what he says about this. Heaven and hell is more important than that. That's coming from somebody who could care less about Christianity. He's talking about faith. He's talking about what does it mean to move towards people in light of even the ways that we feel socially awkward. And this is what it means to approach people in that way. Do we really believe that this is that powerful? If the news has traveled over centuries, over oceans, over continents, over time and space to get to you, that nothing keeps you from the good news of Christ, then isn't this something that we should go beyond even the social awkwardness of a moment to actually live or talk or express? This is why, by the way, that at the back for this whole month, I'm putting a pad a legal, a giant legal pad of sorts with a marker asking you what your questions are. And you may or may not take me up on that. Uh, whether you're here and you are, it would say you are a Christian or you're not. I, it's okay if you don't. But my issue is I want you to know your questions matter. That we need to be having discussions about these things. That we need to even see one question and ask, man, I haven't thought about that in a while. What's that mean? And as we enter even into Nashville, and we love a city, I want you to think about, this is Nashville, and what does it mean for us to care for it? Just a few things. Here are the things we all know. 70 to 100 people are moving to this city a day. 40 cities have already toured Nashville and are trying to figure out how do we become the new Nashville. 20 years of tourism, in 20 years, tourism has jumped in 20 years from 2 million per year to 14 million per year, tourism. We're the number one in so many things. Just in a a month from now, what's going to be coming in our city? The NFL draft. We got the Music City Marathon. We have all sorts, the Preds, like, playoff picture. Everything's here. SEC tournament. I mean, our whole city is booming. Here are some of the stats that we don't think about. We have a budget shortfall of about $35 million dollars. Rents are rising two times the wage growth. And some of you have felt this, just trying to move or buy a home. We have the highest per capita incarceration zip code of any city in the nation. A percentage of children and families who are hungry and trying to find jobs has increased incredible percentages. And probably one of the most concerning things is an official measure of our prosperity and productivity per person Uh, Brookings Institute said, has fallen from 16th in the nation to 73rd. We as a city have an underbelly. There are a lot of great things going on here. Don't get me wrong. But we got to be realistic about the fact that we, if we're loving people, places, and things to life, it means we look into the whole picture. We can't just love parts of Nashville. We got to love all of it. And that means all of its warts, all of the things we think are just not things we want to look at. What does it mean for us to look into and love and take the good news of the gospel to Nashville? I'll tell you, the one thing about this passage is powerful. Probably the most powerful of all is the why. Why do we do this? Why should I do this? What's, what's the point of this? Like, okay, there's a how, that's great. 
We take it out. Why were they sent? Why these people? Why us? Why me? Isn't the question, like if you read the Bible to encourage you, that's actually like the number one question when God says, hey, I want to send you out with this message. Like prophets who that was their job were like, why do I have to do this? We should be asking why. Here's why. We get to see these 70 to 72 return back, and here's what they say. They say, we saw the kingdom of Satan like fall. We're seeing it crumble before us. The, the, as I even said in our confession, that, that the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God is on the offense. It is moving forward. Nothing is stopping it. They get to be a part of the successes. They get to be a part of all of what's going on. And yet what Jesus says is, you know what? Rejoice in this, that your names are in the book of life. Your names are written in heaven. What an unbelievable thing. And why is that? Because if we only give, here's the thing, if we only give this away what we cannot keep, if we only give it away because we're successful at it, we won't know it. But if we know we give it away, if we give it away because we realize that it is ours that has come because He keeps us, if we only keep it because, because we think we're successful, it won't work. This whole table tells you two things. It tells you two things that you have to believe if you're going to take this. It tells you that this bread and this wine means that there's a real, recorded, accurate picture of your name written in heaven because Jesus has come. You're tasting your own record that's in Christ. Different from anything else that any other religion and anything else we could have in our life, this is worth taking. But here's the other side of it. You can't keep it. If you take this table, it means the, the other side of that coin is that you have to go out because it means it's not yours to keep. Because what am I about to say when I open up this bread and pour out this wine? That we believe that Jesus died until he comes again. He didn't just send the 72 before him in this first time. He sends us out before he comes back again. This is the gospel message for you. So with that, let's stand and recite.